This is episode 218 of the A News Podcast, a digest and or conversations on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. We will be taking a break from the What's New segment of this podcast back someday. This week, the third and final week of a series of thoughts on religion, thanks to Ariel Attack and Luigi for the conversation. Something new from the library this week is First Protocols of Queer Goestia, read by Octox. On this episode of Late Night at the Library, First Protocols of Queer Goetia. Queer, strange, peculiar, eccentric, from the German queer, meaning oblique, perverse, odd, which in turn comes from the old High German word for oblique, twer, which is derived from the root turk, to turn, twist, and wind, as in the labyrinth turns, twists, and winds. Goetia the invocation of demons or spirits, from the ancient Greek goetia, sorcery, from goes, sorcerer, wizard, ultimately derived from guau, to wail, to cry, as in mourning or in a funeral rite. These dead are hungry, fuck, dance, run, kiss, steal, eat decadently, sing, destroy, create. The energy of life, ecstatic life, Trust them close, nourishes. Let your kissing, dancing, fucking, creating, destroying, move you to trance. Give them space and adorn it lavishly. Speak to them there, where they are comfortable and at home. The dead, and especially the queer dead, are unorganized, chaotic. Don't expect organization. Instead, find nodes, affines, contacts among them. They'll coordinate among themselves. Learn their names, all their names, the secret ones too. All the better to call them by. Research obsessively. Research frantically. Research ecstatically. Study their codes. Commit yourself to the argo. The signs. Open yourself up to failed messages. Pay attention to subtle omens. On the radio, in thrift stores, bookstores passing conversations. They work through synchronicity. There is no such thing as coincidence. Pay special attention to outcasts, ranters, mad ones, drunks. Experiment with divinatory modes. Practice bibliomancy. Pay attention to birds. Scry and whine. Quiet your mind. Alter your state of consciousness with drugs, with fasting, with dance, with chant. Hold vigils, visit memorials, pour libations, light candles, celebrate birthdays, death days, celebrate accomplishments, celebrate festivals, sketch a map of sacred places, an enchanted geography. Walk the old haunts, bars and parks, and cruising spots, therein pick up their trace. Some will travel in packs and as houses, others are solitary. Learn how to engage with them together and alone. Among them, there will be spirits more or less elevated, more or less wise, more or less chained by traumas. Seek the advice of the wise ones and do not be drowned in the pain and fear of the others. You may feel yourself to be dying. You may find yourself wrapped in panic and anxiety. This is a cost of work. Learn to separate what is yours and what isn't. 
Part of the work will be to assist those who need healing, to show them how to heal themselves. Healing may be ecstatic too. Cultivate empathy. Learn how to regulate it. Empathy may register as desire, sickness, terror, joy, leaning to your anxieties and manias, into your highs and lows. Often you'll find the spirits on the other end. Balance is necessary. As you surround yourself with the dead, invite in life in equal parts. Cleanse yourself. The dead are intrinsically miasmic. Cleanse with flowers, baths, perfumes. Cleanse the doors of perception. Learn to open and close doors. Build and burn bridges. Sing, especially if you never do. Sing for them and them alone. Cultivate certain qualities. Ecstatic, cathartic, flamboyant, sonic, in all things. Practice automatic writing, possessory trance, and other methods of challenge. Journey to the underworld and find your way out. Take breaks, take space, take time, take liberties. The freaks come out at night. Everything dances. Experiment working in groups, amplifying energy and clarity. Another might pick up on something you miss. Build long-term relationships, make oaths, set boundaries, write love letters to the dead, look out for their response, monitor your dreams, record them when you wake, write everything down, especially if it seems unrelated at first, make excessive offerings, wine and mixed drinks, cigarettes, drugs, water, candy, coffee, light, what the dead loved in life the welcome beyond. Dress up to meet them as you would for a date. Bring them flowers. Wear them in your hair to remind yourself of your future underground. Don't expect the dead to keep their appointments. Some are awkwardly early, others fashionably late. Show up on time regardless. Go out, bring them with. Stay in, have them over. Allow yourself to wander in cities and in the wild. Let the dead drift alongside. Wear costumes, wear drag, wear masks. Let them fill the void behind all these. Practice creating masks for different situations. Beauty, intention, and grace in all things. Always with music, always with style. Smear your face in lipstick, ash, wine. Decompose your identity. Open holes through which the others might enter. These spirits blur boundaries between genders, between self and other, between living and dead. Learn to submit to that undoing and still come out the other end. Practice discernment in all things and yet play within distinctions. The distinction between life and death may seem arbitrary to the dead. Keep yourself and your friends alive. The spirits will not. If the dead love you, they may want you among them always. Live vigorously anyways. You'll join them someday regardless. Death is an initiation. Death is not the end. Don't fixate on borders and categories. Piety and veneration may look differently to these spirits. These spirits are always the exception. Stay flexible, adapt. Protocols, like all else, change. Indulge in feasts of the senses. Your mind is a fleshy organ of your body. Nourish and care for your sensual capacities. Spirit is intrinsic to material. Refuse false dichotomies. Dreams, that little death where pain and pleasure become indistinct, is also a doorway. Learn to take the armor off. Let your daily practice congeal into a ritual. Let them build power. Oscillate between formality and informality. Give each its due and derive the distinct pleasures of each. 
necromancer realness, fortune teller realness, spirit medium realness. Call on the psychopomps. Attend to the complicities of Eris and Thanatos. Spend time in kitchens, gardens, libraries. Spend time doing nothing. Spend time in silence. Contemplate their lives and deaths. Contemplate your own. Contemplate nothingness. Contemplate the void. Stargaze, moon gaze, void gaze. Seek out ordeals that might draw you closer. Practice reciprocity in all things. A gift requires a gift. Share your food and your wine. Share your space. Share the sun. The dead lack sensual capacity, but delight in ours. Scream your sorrow. Scream your rage. Scream your joy. The excessive quality of emotion will resonate with the most clearly. Sometimes the dead require blood to speak. What they need beyond all else is the gift of memory. Tell their stories. Speak their names. Affirm their truths. The dead will cast shade and spill tea. Pay attention to truths that are most brutal. Recite their poems. Sing their songs. Read their texts. Let their words live on in your work and on your tongue. What is remembered lives These are ancestors of sundered lines. Many were cut off in life. Few have biological descendants. If you are their true descendants, your well-being is in their interest. Ask for assistance in your projects and endeavors. Turn to them for inspiration and insight. In everything you do, honor them and recognize that assistance. These spirits in life feared dying alone. Assure against their isolation and death. They died in prisons and camps and psych wards at the hands of inquisitors, gay bashers, and cops. Vengeance is sweet even to them. The greatest vengeance is to live joyously on their behalf. Be ready for all debts to come due. The dead are rarely constrained by human morality. They make fearsome conspirators and offenders. War extends to all levels. There are hostile forces as well. Keep your friends close. Topic of the week, anarchy and the occult. Chaos works in mysterious, inscrutable ways. Before their eyes in sudden view appear the secrets of the hoary deep, a dark, illimitable ocean without bound, without dimension, where breadth, length, height, and time and place are lost, where eldest night and chaos, ancestors of nature, hold eternal anarchy amidst the noise of endless wars and by confusion stand. And that's John Moore quoting Paradise Lost in uh, his essay, Anarchy and Ecstasy. How else to describe experiencing the sublime other than being submerged in bewilderness? Anarchy appears amidst ecstatic visions beckoning to be worshiped a devotional anarchism gathering in wilderness under the full moon to carry out its rites, a praying anarchy of inward retreat. Intention with an aspirational anarchism which sees anarchy as a goal and an unreachable destination, 
a beautiful idea, a world-weary animism that mourns the loss of a spirituality inextricable from genocided indigenous lifeways rooted in the land. The dreams of an impossible practice it cannot participate in, carried out by free actors who live without fear and speak words beyond comprehension. What distinguishes practices grounded in the daily experiences of the real mysteries of nature, deeply attuned to the environment and the greater enveloping mysteries from beyond, from countless forms of madness and civilization? How do anarchists engage with the pandemonium of magic, superstition, hyperstition, cults, secret societies? What can we say about anarchism and the occult and the occult features of anarchism? And this topic of the week is the third in the, uh, the three-week topic of religion. And um, I'm Ariel. Um, and I have here with me Luigi. Hello, Luigi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, well, where, where should we begin? Um, do you have any initial thoughts about this topic? Yeah, I do. Um, I wanted to start with a quote from Aragorn's Nihilist Animism that spoke to me. One, find a set of people. Two, find a language. That language should probably not be a public one because the task that comes next is all too vulnerable. We're talking about creating something that the history of the current order has done a bang-up job of genociding, mocking, and parading in front of the slavering consumers of modern spectacle for their amusement. Keeping this language secret will be nearly impossible in a world of social media, but the task isn't nearly complete then. Finally, this language has to become meaningful. With it, a set of people who will have to become multi-generational, have to disassemble and recreate a world that does not suffer from monotheism, civilization, and modern technology. And, you know, here I think that for those of us who are willing to make the leap, the secret is to really begin. Um, Looking at anarchy through a spiritual lens rather than as a political ideology or as a subculture, uh, three currents really stand out to me. And the first is this idea of anarchy as the beautiful idea, um, which I think can have a sort of platonic connotation. But to me, it's beautiful not because it's unreachable or unattainable, um, but because it's already present if we know how to invite it into our lives. It's anarchy as an ethic, as a spirit. Uh, Anarchy potentially as a force of deific uh, proportions in its own right, as we find in John Moore and Milton. Uh, anarchy as devotion. It's the beautiful idea that our ancestors have killed and died and been martyred for. Um, and I think this sort of fits with that first week's uh, like devotional anarchism topic. Uh, secondly, I think it's it's an ancestral lineage. It's a lineage of heart keepers and tradition bearers and martyrs and ancestors, all those who have come before, who have used the name anarchist or who haven't, but have lived in anarchic ways that inspire us. And we're tapping into that lineage and that current uh, when we become anarchists. But then third, I think, in addition to these two things that are sort of like um, able to be seen on the surface, it's really a leap into the unknown. It's a paradox the black flame, 
it is the occult and it's an initiation. And I think given the topic of this week, I want to focus on this third occult initiatic current. Um, I could keep going. No, I think that's a great place to start. Because I was thinking about, you know, the topic of the week and and what's the occult part, right? Yeah. That, That... that's different from kind of the topics of, of the last two weeks. And yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to sort of interpret the question of what is the occult, but I think that the framing that you're giving it is, it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, on the one hand, there is that mysterious or ineffable aspect of anarchy. Um, and on the other hand, there is the occult aspect of the of the project, right? What you what you mentioned in the um, in the uh, basically the passage you read from nihilist animism is about how there are certain aspects of our of our project that we have to hide in order for them not to be swallowed up or or stamped out um, by the dominant culture, and then also you have. A, this sense in which anarchy itself is um, is a kind of um, is a kind of occulted thing or whatever, right? It's like um, you have to, you know, all of us kind of had to go through some kind of process to to find it and 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 find it through these sort of yeah, these sort of secret signs, you know, like, even though they're like out in the open in some yeah. ways, right. There's the graffiti and things, but it's like, there is a kind of secret language, um, that the anarchist world, uh, inscribes onto, onto the, the, uh, the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, that, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good framing to start with. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts on that. Well, yeah, do you want to just go ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the, like, you know, occult literally means hidden, right? And I think some of those secret languages and symbols that are also out in the open are, like, the black flag and the black mask, right? Like, Yeah, and the star is kind of an interesting one as far as occultism. Too. It is, yeah, which does come up in that book, Cult Features of Anarchism, mm-hmm. um, and then also has ties all the way back to the ancient mystery religions of the Mediterranean, and further back than that as well, um, looking at star lore. <clears throat> but I think the black mask is, you know, it's literally a symbol of occultation, you know, of hiding, yeah. um, and yet through it, you know, it's black flame burns the brightest through the mask. Uh, well, it's, right. It's how we're most pu- well known publicly, probably. Yeah. And I definitely think about Luis Michel talking about how the black flag is black with the blood of the martyrs and it's black from mourning, but also waving above the new dawn that is breaking. And, you know, thinking about, um, thinking about that part of 
you know, Aragorn says, like, if we are indeed broken, are we capable of not being broken? Uh, and he also talks about, like, sort of, you know, there's no going back, but going forward is just as difficult, you know? Um, and I think that's correct. And I remember from the first week, this sort of idea that, like, revolution would be a miracle, but so is, you know, finding any path forward in a certain way. And that's where I think this concept of initiation is useful. Um, initiation means to begin something new, but specifically after a death and a rebirth or after a dismemberment and a remembering or a rememberment, um, as we find with the story of the infant Dionysus who is torn apart and then is like pieced back together and reborn. Um, and so I think initiation as sort of a process of beginning that comes after a break, after a death, um, it recognizes the break that has that has happened and doesn't sort of ignore it and recognizes that we can't go back, but that to go into something new, we also have to remember the past and piece it together in a new way. And I think, you know, as you were saying, like for each of us becoming an anarchist, which, you know, I think is becoming an Nietzschean sense um, it's an initiation, right? It's a birth into that new ancestral lineage that I was talking about of like the anarchist lineage and also a new spiritual status of engaging with the world and the forces within the world. It requires us to hold up all of our assumptions to the mirror and question them and to engage with the unknown and mysterious as creators and destroyers or as creator destroyers, um, and I think that's reflected in that passage from Aragorn too, to dissemble and recreate a world that does not suffer from monotheism, civilization, and modern technology. Yeah, I mean, what I really like about what you're, t what you're talking about here is that it's like, there's, there's the initiation that, you know, all of us, uh, you know, listening to this podcast can relate to, right? Which is the initiation of, of having become an anarchist but then there's also always more initiations that are possible, right? And for me, the what I often think about, well, for one thing, I just thinking about anarchy and the occult, um, but also this top, this particular topic of initiation. Like when I was when I was first being initiated into anarchy, like my first anarchist text that I read was The Invisibles by um, Grant Morrison. And um, and the main character actually starts out already an anarchist. Like, he's like, a, he's this young kid. He's like, you know, lives in like a, like a poor neighborhood in, in, in the UK. He's like, fuck society and all these things. And he like knows about the anarchist tradition, like um, he, there's this interaction he's having with his uh, teacher, who's I think also some kind of anarchist, um, but but who he doesn't like respect, um, and um, and and there's this interaction where it's clear that both of them know the the history of anarchism, um, but um, but he has to go through this whole other like much weirder initiation in order to become part of the invisibles mm -hmm. which is this very 
uh, let's just say it's kind of anarchism uh, or it's kind of like an anarchist group that exists on a on a more super uh, on a more cosmic or like um, you know e extra material uh, plane or something yeah I also love the invisibles and I think I think part of you know if initiation is to be dissembled and recreated and that I think you know, when Aragorn speaks to the, the challenge of dissembling and recreating the worlds that we live in, I think only people who have themselves been dissembled and recreated can possibly even step up to this task. And, but it's not a one-time thing. And that I think part of what being an anarchist is, is being a creator destroyer continually mm -hmm. of oneself and of whatever one finds oneself surrounded by. Uh, so I think it is an ongoing process. And I also think about like Emma Goldman baptizing these like Italian babies with the name of Spartacus and Revolta and Comunardo um, when she was on a speaking tour. You know, like baptism is, that's like uh, an initiation into multi-generational multi lineage, which like Aragorn is speaking to as sort of this like the necessity after like keeping the language secret, secret is to like make it meaningful and multi-generational, but so are rites of passage, um, funerals, martyr veneration. I think those are all ways that we make the, gen the generational lineage uh, through these ceremonies and initiations. So, um, so, the martyrdom question is is kind of an interesting one, right? Because it's it's um, there's actually like an a pretty active like I think a lot of the the topics around occultism are are those conversations are happening, but a lot of them aren't happening very publicly or something. Some of them are, but I think the 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 topic of martyrdom I feel like has been a like kind of a public anarchist debate for quite some time. Right, like a lot of times, if if people either take certain kinds of actions or um, interact with the dead in certain kinds of ways, um, sometimes they'll be uh, criticized, you know, either for uh, martyring themselves or for engaging in martyr worship. Um, but you know, like on the on the other hand, I remember that when I was um, spending a lot of time following uh, anarchist news from uh, other countries, I was very impressed um, to see that, uh, especially in uh, Chile, but also in some other places, um, there's a very, uh, a very engaged practice of um, remembering uh, the anarchists who have died um, such as like Mauricio Morales, for example, um, but there's there's uh, several others in, in Chile, and um, and they and they will you know write about and talk about the importance of that remembering in in how it strengthens their their anarchist movement. Um, so I wonder if you have thoughts on this because I'm sure you've encountered the um, I guess you would say like the criticisms of of martyrdom. Uh, in the anarchist space. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I think that the way that you just framed it is um, of remembering, like, that's what I think it really comes down to, you know? Like, it's not about putting people on pedestals or anything like that. But I do think it is a form of sort of post-mortem initiation. Um, and in a way, it comes about through the actions that the person takes, but it also comes about through the context uh, that they they come out of and that does continue to rem- remember them. Uh, so I think it's a sort of a dual process there. Uh, and that, yeah, so I think of this too as another form of initiation, um, especially given the sort of remembering theme that I, I think is an important part of what that means. And that uh, I think that, um, you know, like the history of like the anarchist lineage really was birthed through martyrdom. Oh yeah. And that I think that this sort of return of this theme um, into the current moment is sort of like an an initiatory experience for anarchy as a whole or the anarchist uh, galaxy as a whole. Um, to have to sort of like grapple with this question once again is something that is transforming all of us wherever we are engaging with the, the, the debate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I read um, um, Averich's, um, Paul Averich's um, Haymarket Tragedy book um, was the first time I realized just how much the, the, the martyrdom of, of the Haymarket martyrs really, I don't want to say caused exactly, but like really catalyzed anarchists, the word really becoming something that people used Um, and people really stepping into um, that role in a way that before um, had, had existed a little bit, but um, it's almost as if people, it's almost as if um, the main usage of the term before then was like as kind of an accusatory. And then some people would be like, well, yes, like, um, but it, it's, it's like it's actually seeing people literally put to death by the state for being anarchists. Yeah. Um, uh, makes you want to uh, claim the word in a way that um, you otherwise might be like, well, I have these ideas and that, and that, and that's meaningful in my life. Like I'm living the ideas, but like the word is not necessarily that important. Right. But actually then when the state like kills these people, like for being anarchists, um, somehow that, uh, I, I, the impression I got from the book anyway was like I really think that somehow that had a hugely shaping effect on people. Um, yeah, identifying with the word. Yeah, I mean the word means to bear witness, and so it comes from a judicial context and is applied within a judicial context for people who are being executed by the state. And I think to me, it's like that means that they are like bearing witness to anarchy as a force that they find present in their lives or like at least 
has potential within the world in to such a degree that they, you know, are like uh, dying for it um, and refusing to renounce it. But I think also like where the criticisms do come in is like, I don't think that like a martyr veneration just like divorced from all other forms of like uh, ancestor, like veneration and commemoration is like healthy. Um, and I think that's where the sort of like monotheist connotations of the word do come down to us and like True. Uh, can kind of, you know, it comes like hand in hand with sort of this, like, specialization militancy, for example, right? Um, Would you say more about the other forms of, of, of ancestor? Like what it, could you just like paint just like a general picture of what this, what like a more well-rounded um, approach would look like in your view? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I said like, at the, you know, when I was talking about these different currents, like, I was like, well, the ancestral current is like, it's martyrs, but it's also hearth keepers, you know, like mm -hmm. people who tend the fires, uh, around which the stories are told, perhaps of the martyrs. Um, you know, like the martyrs, nothing without people to like tell the story uh, and like remember them and commemorate, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't just exist like in and of themselves. Um, and like tradition uh, bearers, like the people who have, yeah, passed the anarchist tradition down over the generations. I think those people like, you know, it's, it's perhaps cliche, but like the people who live and in witness to anarchy every day. Like, I think that's the more important part. Uh, it's not just about dying in witness to anarchy, right? Right, so like, so, so maybe some of the criticism is of, of the, uh, of the, of the martyr, of the use of the word martyr is, is, is maybe not directed at is maybe responding to that word at all because it's associated with certain things or it actually sometimes manifests as those things. Um, especially in like a Christian or like Christian influenced, uh, culture. Um, but, but you're saying that, yeah, it has this, it doesn't have to be, um, uh, a for a practice that, that elevates certain kinds of lives over, over other ones and, and says that it doesn't, you know, basically it, you know, to, to remember and honor the martyrs doesn't necessarily mean like privileging their, their uh, way of life over, over other forms of life. Yeah, I agree with that. And also I think they should be remembered for, you know, the specific, category of spirits that they they now are they are very powerful allies and um, like i think there's different spiritual traditions that have this idea of sort of like more powerful or more elevated ancestors and i think mm. you know our our martyrs do sort of leap into that category um but also like i don't think that they should be separated from the rest of us in that way just sort of like as in the first episode of the, of this this topic, you know that Diane de Prima quote of like not separating religion from life itself. But then I think also like we do live in the break, and the martyrs are also like part of that break that we all experience collectively. Well, let's see. Do you have any other thoughts that you 
want to share or other directions? Um, I think that covers most of my initial thoughts on this topic. Obviously, we can continue the conversation elsewhere. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And uh, goodbye, Anarchy Land. We'll see you next week. Um, yeah, take care. This week's podcast. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. We thank Ariel Attack and Luigi for their help with the conversation on occult anarchism. We hope this podcast is useful too and fun for anarchists and the anarcho curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian site, anarchistnews.org. To learn more, anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackcart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chatroom linked on a news.